As we enter the book of Deuteronomy, we are struck by the fact that unlike some of the other first books of the Pentateuch, um, the first five books of our Bible, the book of Deuteronomy contains very little history. It is almost all instruction. The word Deuteronomy comes, the title of it comes from the Greek translation, the Greek title that was given, which has the idea of a second law or a retelling of the law. But it's not really so much a retelling of the law as, in a sense, Moses' instruction from God on how Israel was to act in the promised land. Actually, it is a very constrained time, probably only several weeks or a month, in which the book of Deuteronomy really is situated. They are repeated sermons, they are lessons, they are instructions from Moses to the people of God as they sit on the edge of the promised land with Joshua about to take them across the Jordan River and into the promised land. And as we are with the Israelites on the brink of the promised land, on the brink of seeing God's gracious favor to them finalized, if you will, in coming this, these visions of the promised land coming to fruition, it's interesting to stop and reflect on what is really on Moses' heart. And by extension, of course, what's on God's heart. It led me to consider this question. If you were to identify the danger that most worries you about your spiritual walk with God, the pitfall, the weakness, the area that you look ahead and you say, I need to watch out for this above all else, what would it be? Now, I think this is an important thing to consider. It's no different than a boxer, a wrestler, an MMA fighter, looking at video to determine where am I potentially uh, uh, ready to get hit? Where are my weaknesses? It's an, any athlete does this. Where are we likely to potentially stumble in our own walk with God? Well. As you ponder that question, I want to bring something out tonight that I suspect should be on our radars if human nature hasn't changed, and by the way, it hasn't. Because what we see Moses very concerned about with the people of God in Deuteronomy, a people who had gone through serious difficulty in the land or in, in, the, in the wilderness. We saw that last week. All the difficulty that led to so much complaining, so much murmuring and grumbling, so much that they had been through. What is Moses' concern? Well, of course his concern was disobedience. He knew they would walk away from God. He told them they would walk away from God, and they did walk away from God. But what's interesting about this chapter is to identify one of the reasons that Moses identified they would. And frankly, friends, it's a reason that you might walk away from God. It's a reason that you might no longer one day be walking with him and serving him. One day that you may no longer be having a vibrant relationship with him. 
And the somewhat counterintuitive thing that we learn from Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the thing that might take you away, that took them away from God, was prosperity. It, to put a finer point on it, was God's blessing of them. God's grace to them was the very thing that ultimately helped lead them away from the God who had given it to them. Look with me in verse number 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it shall be, Moses says, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Last week, last Sunday evening, we looked at the Israelites being in the wilderness, and we called that message grieved and grumbling. People who were under great difficulty and as a result gave in to the great biblical sin of complaining. This week we're going to look at the pendulum swinging to the opposite direction. And we're going to title the message simply, Full and forgetful, full and forgetful. And hopefully we're going to put out a warning sign tonight that you are going to use and I'm going to use to assess my own readiness to deal with even the blessing of God in my own life. What, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to move through these verses and see how they apply to the Israelites first see where the Israelites fell, and then apply it to ourselves and see how these truths bring forward into the New Testament and how God might be speaking to us through this Old Testament passage this evening. I want to talk, first of all, you'll notice here, about divine favor. Divine favor. Look with me again at verse 10. When the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, now notice this, which thou buildest not. So the point that God is making here is, I am blessing you by bringing you into a land that you had nothing to do with. I didn't swear it first to you, I promised it to your very, very great descendants. 400 plus years ago. It, it didn't have anything to do with you. It had to do with them. And I promised it to them. And now I'm bringing you in and I'm going to give you cities that you didn't build. Now keep on going. Notice that theme come back. And houses full of all good things, fully stocked houses, which thou fillest not. You had nothing to do with filling it up. And wells digged, that you didn't have to come and dig yourself. It was already, it was move-in condition. And what are those wells? Which thou diggest not. Vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. What is God trying to communicate? He's trying to communicate, your blessings have nothing to do with you. Your blessings are from me. They are my unmerited favor. Now what word do we use theologically to describe God's unmerited favor? grace. 
This is grace that God is telling them. I am giving you this prosperity, this blessing as a matter of grace. Now, notice then here, secondly, what I'm going to call the danger. What is God warning them of? Look at verse 11. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget. So you're going to receive my unmerited favor of coming into a land that I had everything to do with and you did not. I am preparing this for you. When you get in and start partaking of this wonderful land, you're going to eat and you're going to be full. And then what? Watch out or you're going to forget. Full and forgetful. Now, what is this danger? I want us to notice, first of all, that this danger seems a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean, think about it like this. If you were to come into a land that you knew God had given you, and it was just abundant with all kinds of blessings and all kinds of physical, material prosperity, don't you think that that would have only drawn you closer to God? Wouldn't you just naturally think, if you come in and you say, God, you gave this to me, and look at all this that I'm experiencing, God, you're amazing. And you remember more. But God says, no, it's actually, it's actually the opposite. Beware lest when you partake of my grace, of my good blessings that you had nothing to do with and I had everything to do with, beware that then you forget me, the one who gave it for you to you in the first place. So let me ask you this question. If that's a little counterintuitive, then why? Why is it this danger that when we receive good things from God, they can, instead of drawing us closer to God, actually make us forget God? Well, I think the key here is what he says in verse 11, at the end of verse 11. When thou shalt have eaten and be, what? Be full. Now, some of you know what it is to push back from the table after a really good meal and be full. What is at the heart of being full? You could use this word. You're satisfied. You're content. You have had enough. You are satisfied. And I think the idea that we're going to see here and what we're driving at is that God's blessings can either satisfy us with the blessings themselves, or they drive us to experience the blesser. They either make us content with the stuff that we've received, or they cause us to put our eyes up to the one who gave us the stuff and use it as a tool of worship. And what God is saying here is, watch out, because I know you. When I, when your belly starts getting full with the blessings that I gave you, you're not going to remember, you're not going to look up. You are going to start looking at the riches, at the stuff themselves. Now, there's actually a proverb that is directly on point here. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7. Listen to what the, the author of Proverbs says. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. 
Here's what he says. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want either one of those things. I don't want to be rich, and I don't want to be grindingly poor. Now, why does he say that? Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full. There's that word. Lest I be full and deny thee. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? That sounds a lot like someone who's full and forgetful. Who's the Lord? Now, why is it? It's because material blessings, material wealth, prosperity is deceptive. It is a liar. Jesus himself made this clear when he proclaims in Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the sower. He speaks of the thorny soil, the ground that, that produces seed quickly, but it's choked out by the thorns. Listen to what he calls those thorns. He says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches. Why is material prosperity a lie? Why is it deceitful? It's deceitful because it tends to convince you that you're responsible for it it tends to convince you that you are the cause. And so therefore you are justified to fully feast on the reward. In fact, God makes this clear in this book of Deuteronomy. Turn over two chapters to De Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's a very similar theme because this theme is coming back over and over again. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and start in verse 11. And you're going to see these same, same themes coming back. Verse 11 says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. Don't forget. In not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. There's that word again, full. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to be wealthy. Listen to that. Then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget, same idea, thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint who fed thee in the wilderness with manna which thy fathers knew not that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Now listen to verse 17. And thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. You notice that? What is the deceitfulness of prosperity? The deceitfulness of material blessing is that we get satisfied by them and we say, I'm the one who has caused this. I am the one who has provided this and therefore we say who is the Lord we forget what he has done in terms of his unmerited favor toward us in other words the point that I'm trying to make here is that when you and I get satisfied by the material prosperity around us like the Israelites what ends up happening is we forget that we're in a battle 
to see certain things. I've told you this, and I'll keep on telling you it again. With my children, what we say over and over again, I ask them, what is faith? And, they have been, and, and we've been, they've been trained to say, faith is seeing what you can't see. Faith is seeing what you can't see. Now, is faith also trusting what you can't see? Yes. But what I'm trying to communicate to them is faith is seeing things that these eyes can't see. And we are always entirely in a battle for faith. We are in a battle to see invisible spiritual realities and live by what other people can't see. And what physical, earthly realities do is they lie to us. They say, you can see this. You can enjoy this. You can be satisfied by this. And then it says this. Stop focusing on that stuff you can't see. Stop focusing on what's invisible to the physical eye. It is your faith, your eye of faith, that is dimmed by your physical prosperity, by what you can see by what you can taste, by what you can touch. And this is exactly what God warned them of. When you get full, your eye of faith about who I am and what I've done for you is going to be dimmed, and you're going to forget. You're going to forget. You are no longer going to walk by faith. You're going to be walking by sight. And of course, if you were to go ahead to the book of Judges, as we will shortly... Do you know this is the story of the book of Judges? This is really it in a nutshell. God gives them provision, and they get fat and full, and they forget. And God brings in a discipline to them in the form of an enemy who brings them into captivity and takes away their physical prosperity, and they cry out to God in their misery, and God raises up a deliverer, a judge, and what happens? And the land had rest for 30 years, 40 years, 60 years, and what happens? They get prosperous again. They get full again, and they forget God, and they wander away, and it, the whole cycle continues over and over and over again. It is the story of the Israelite people. They get full, and they forget. And that's why notice what God is telling them here. Third, I want to talk about a duty. There's a divine favor, there's a danger, and there's a duty. What does God say? Beware, lest what? lest you forget. Verse 12, Then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Now, I want to just make a simple point here about how God practically encourages them in this way. Will you go back with me just briefly in this chapter to verse 4? Look what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one Lord. This is the Shema, even today, the central tenet of Judaism. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command this, thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt Write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Do you see what God's doing? He's saying, I want to make sure you don't forget. By what? 
By speaking of them every day. By talking about them. By doing what? By having them figuratively in front of you at all times. I want them, you to be surrounded with the reminders of who I am and what I've said to you so you will not forget. Remember! Now friends, you'll, you can do this on your own time and I hope you will. Go back tonight or at some point this week and look up every time the word remember is used in Deuteronomy. I bet you'll be surprised at how often it's used. And then look at what God tells them to remember. Take that time to do that. Look up the word remember and see how often God commands them to remember and what he calls them to remember. And then ask, what do I need to remember? What does God want me to remember in my life? Remember. God says, if once you get full, once you experience my favor, my grace, what is going to help you not forget is this continual command to remember these tools of memory. In fact, Deuteronomy brings this over and over again. You'll see this if you go and study it. God says these phrases, but thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. You need to remember. You need to remember. You need to remember who you were. That was God's tool for them not to forget. And this is where I want to turn it now to us. Human nature hasn't changed. We are naturally forgetful. By the way, do you know that's true as a physical matter? You and I are incredibly forgetful people. There are some of us who have, obviously, a photographic memory, and those people are kind of the exception, right? But we actually, science tells us that we greatly overstate how good our memory actually is. And that's not because our human mind, God didn't make our human mind capable. In fact, I saw this re recently, very interesting. Um, someone who has studied the human mind says that our, our human long-term memory has, quote, virtually unlimited storage. Listen to this. Every word you know is in long-term memory. Every face you recognize, every story, every joke, every victory, and every humiliation, they are all in long-term memory. One estimate says that our cranial hard drives hold, quote, 2.5 petabytes, about a million gigabytes of storage capacity. And here's what this, this book says. If you had a computer with that much memory, you could hold 3 million hours of video. Your mind has the capacity potentially to hold 3 million hours worth of video. That's about 342 years worth of video in the mind God gave you. But here's the problem. For all that nearly unlimited processing capability, you and I forget constantly. And what happens is we fill in the gaps with things based on how we're seeing things today, not how we're seeing things as they were back then. We are incredibly uh, people, we are, we are people who, who, who actually invent the past as we think we are remembering it perfectly. I need no to say no more than some of our current politicians. You see their stories that they tell, and you fact check it, and you say, that never happened. They may be lying, and they may just be forgetting and simply inventing facts 
that their own minds are coming together with to fill in the gaps of the things that they have forgotten. Why am I saying this? It's because the way God made us explains why over and over in the Old Testament and New Testament, one of God's most consistent commands is remember. Remember. Don't forget. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1. Actually, I'll ask you to turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is Peter, of course, right near the end of his life. Shortly before he died, he said, I know that I'm going to put off this tabernacle. But I want us to see this because I think it's very telling here. 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 12. This is the heartbeat of a shepherd who says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things though ye know them and be established in the present truth. He's saying, you already know these things, but I'm never going to stop reminding you. I'm never going to stop bringing them to your remembrance. He's looking at verse 13. Yea, I think it meet, I think it's fitting, as long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as I'm in my body, as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And then he goes on in verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, after my death, to have these things always in remembrance. What's Peter saying? What's the, what's the job of pastor? What's my job here in this pulpit? It's not so much to teach you new things as to remind you of old ones. Remind you of things you know right now. Remind you of things that I hope you'll keep remembering even when I'm not preaching in this pulpit someday. You will continue to remember. Turn over for just a minute to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bibles. Paul in this passage has just explained the gospel. In verses 1 through 10, he says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now listen to this. Wherefore, remember. Remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which was, is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, Ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What is God wanting you to remember? He's wanting you to remember that your favor before God has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. It's all grace. You were a Gentile. I was a Gentile. We had no claim on God. We were not part of the covenant of promise. We were not the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We weren't the people of the promised land. We were the idolaters. We were the people on the outside. Our forefathers were not worshipers of Yahweh, of Jehovah. The covenants didn't come through them. What's God telling us? He's telling us, remember who you were so you never forget who you are right now. Remember as you experience God's blessing in the most prosperous society that the world has ever known, in a period of, if you were to look across world history, the kind of general peace 
and prosperity after World War II that our world and our American society has experienced, it's nearly unprecedented in all of world history. And God says, remember. Remember when you eat and you get full and you start filling up on all the creature comforts of modern day, what do you need to remember? You need to remember who you are and who you were. And you need to remember who I am. And you need to remember what I have actually done. You see, we're no different than the Israelites when it comes to human nature. One of the greatest temptations to our walking away from God is when we lose the battle of faith, when we get full and we get satisfied. When we get satisfied, we stop seeking the relationship with God who gave us all these good things. And when we stop seeking, we stop seeing by faith the spiritual realities. You know, it's like that when you're in, a, in the car and the heat gets cranking up on the inside and your windshield starts fogging up and you can't see very well at the reality of the world outside you, that's what riches do. That's what prosperity does. That's what worldly satisfaction and fulfillment does. You can't see clearly spiritual realities because in your comfort, you've forgotten. You've forgotten who God is and what he's actually done for you. I love what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, charge them that are rich in this world. Charge them. Direct them. Instruct them that are rich in this world. Now let me stop there. It would be easy for us to say, well, that's not me. I'm not rich. And I fully acknowledge that there in this room even, and within the sound of my voice here tonight, there are a wide range of people in terms of income and in terms of what's in your bank account and what's in your retirement account. I'm not trying to, to sweep that all away, but I am saying this in the context of world history. Every single person in this room is rich. If you were to really compare it out, if you could choose being a billionaire in the year 1900 or 1920, only 100 years ago, or being a very middle-class American today, you would choose living today every time. None, not one of us, if we really did the pros and cons, would choose being a billionaire in the 1920s over what we experience today in our world. We are unconscionably prosperous. If you want any more proof of this, go back to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what Jesus told his disciples to pray, our daily bread. Now, friends, you may have different amounts in your bank account, but I don't know how many of us truly are living daily for provision. It might be weekly, it might be monthly, it might be yearly, but how many of us are truly living daily for our provision? We are wealthy. We are rich. Now, notice what Paul says. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, they don't get puffed up, they don't forget who they are, and who God is, nor trust in uncertain riches. What did we say? We're in a battle for faith. 
We're in a battle to see and trust what we cannot see with these eyes. And God is telling us, beware. Your temptation is going to be to trust in what you can see. But it's uncertain. It's a lie. It's deceitful. Don't do it. And therefore what? Instead, trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Friends, what's the point here for us tonight? The point in the most prosperous society that the world has ever seen, we better double down on the kinds of reminders and remembrances that God was instructing his Old Testament people to, 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 to put in place. We better be doubling down on the kind of spirit of gratitude, the spirit of thankfulness, the spirit of recognizing that all good things, every good gift and every perfect gift is come from above and comes down from the Father of lights. We need to be cultivating gratitude like no other Christian across all of Christian history has needed to give gratitude to God. Why? Lest we be full and forget. Now go back again just briefly to Deuteronomy chapter 6, will you? Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Notice what God says in verse number 4 and through verse 6. Here's his direction to them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command this thee this day shall be in thine heart. One of the greatest things that we can do to keep these words of God before our eyes, to be not forgetful, but to be remembering, is to take the word of God and to install it in our hearts by memorizing it not just simply as a duty that we seek blessing from God for, but as an act of faith where we say, God, I'm going to put your words in my heart as an act of faith so that I won't forget, so that I won't forget who I am and who you are, so that the, wi the, windows, the, the windshields of my life won't get fogged up with the prosperity and all the things that I'm experiencing in creature comforts today, so that my eyes of faith may see clearly the greatest spiritual realities that overwhelm all the physical realities that these eyes can see. Friends, when divine favor has entered your life, make sure that that divine favor doesn't come to the danger of dimming your sight to what is truly important. Remember, remember, remember. One more word. How critical is this for your kids? How critical is this that what we hold before our kids in an age of prosperity are the most important spiritual realities that they need to be reminded of every single day? What do they need to be reminded of? They need to be reminded that they're sinners, that they have no claim on the goodness of God apart what Jesus Christ has done for them. They need to be reminded every single day of the work of Jesus Christ for them and that without him, they have nothing. 
They need to be reminded every single day of the eternal reality. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. They need to be reminded in your example and in my example as parents and as grandparents that we're not living for creature comforts. Our eyes aren't being blinded by the prosperity of this world. We are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They, in other words, need to be reminded of grace, of God's grace for us and God's grace that is available to them as well. So friends, last week, remember the temptation that you can go through even today. When you go through seasons of difficulty in your life, you can start grumbling and you can start complaining. Remember those fiery serpents. Remember God's judgment on grumblers and remind yourself of the grace of God in Jesus Christ who was sacrificed to take care of your sin of grumbling. But remember then this week, remember the seasons of prosperity that you're in. Remember the creature comforts that you're experiencing right now. And remember the great danger that even those acts of blessing from God can become an incredible snare for you to get full, to get satisfied, and to forget the Lord. Let's make sure that we're putting in front of us every single day these kinds of remembrances as we fight the everyday battle of faith.